Welcome to the C Word That Conservatives podcast. Today is our Christmas special. I'm Jenny Mathiason, an objects conservative based in Carmarthenshire. And I'm Chloe Rumsey, an objects conservative based in Manchester. Oh, welcome to the show, everyone. Merry seasonals, everyone. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Here we are again, and it is the tail end of 2022. And uh, yes, I, I've failed completely to wear anything that's festive. Same. I'm wearing a green jumper, which yeah, is, festive. I mean, vaguely yeah. a Christmas colour, I suppose. I'm drinking a giant glass of milk, so maybe I'm secretly <laughs> Santa Claus. Um, possibly. Not so secretly. <laughs> well, judging by the amount of parcels that Royal Mail had to pick up from my house today. I am quite possibly Santa Claus, actually. (laughs) Yes, excellent. Um, We have a special guest host with us as well. (laughs) Hello, um, my name's Sarah Turner. I'm I'm a bit of an imposter. I'm not a conservator. I'm a collections specialist, collections manager, whatever term you'd like to use. Um, And I'm based in Hartford. Very nice to have you here. Festive welcome. Oh my God, what is happening to Chloe? Sorry. (laughs) Cuthbert the cat has joined us as a special guest host as well. This is Cuthbert. Hi, babe. This does happen sometimes. We do have animal takeovers. <clears throat> yep. Excellent. Yeah. Back on track. Welcome uh, to the show. Sarah. <laughs> yes. Love it. Excellent. This is going to be seamless yep. to edit later. Sorry. Sarah. <laughs> but you've been telling us like that you've just switched job. How exciting. I yes. I have just finished working at Canterbury Cathedral as their collections manager. I was there for ooh, just over seven years as part of a, a, a very big project, um, a National Lottery Heritage Fund project. So, yes. And yes, I'm, I'm just starting in my new job. I'm in at the House of Parliament, so oh, yeah, congratulations! Yeah. Thank oh, you very, very much. Well done. So that's where I am. Fantastic. And we're sort of well, you, we've dragged you onto the show because we want to <laughs> talk roughly about churches and cathedrals and those sorts of spaces around Christmas time. Obviously, churches and places of worship are in use year round, but uh, you know, especially heavily around Christmas, I would imagine, because then even maybe places that aren't as frequently used throughout the year would really sort of come to life in that they will be used for choirs and uh, Christmas services and like all sorts of stuff like that. And that's the thing that really interests me is that even if you're maybe not like a church goer or something like that, you might in fact visit these places during the festive season uh, for one reason or another. And I think that's the really interesting bit is that it's sort of these spaces really become these places that people really flock to. And I think that's really interesting from like a collections point of view because it might involve like a very different use of the space. Yeah, I, it's a, that's a really interesting because I'd never, gosh, I'm going to be put a bit of a down. I never really thought about it like that because working collections are working collections 12 months of the year it's you would think that there is more emphasis on collections around Christmas that we're using particular items special items but realistically speaking I've never really thought about it like that before I think Mm. because year round you see a turnover of collections investments particularly and the silver that we used at Canterbury is is very specific so I knew which was the working collection and which was held in store. You know, there are some more sumptuous vestments that, that came out right at the end of the year at Canterbury, but that was for a very particular service. So for me, I think there's that the ebb and flow of collections uses is very much based around sort of maybe feasts or 
the special mm. events. I mean, Lambeth is a really good example at Canterbury this year when we when the Lambeth conference took place. And what was that? So, just to just to bring our listeners up to speed. So it's every ten years. It's the assembly of bishops of the Anglican Communion convened ah. by the Archbishop of Canterbury. So that's the bishops from all over the world come together, um, either at Canterbury or Lambeth. And on this occasion, it was it was Canterbury. So there's a lot of people, a lot of activity. Uh, Oh, amazing. Oh, that's really cool. And a lot of collections, either you know, working collections, either being used or part of the furniture during the services and, and the events. So, yeah. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, I, I guess that's the thing, you know, as you say, like they are working collections and that's mm. just sort of, you know, that's the, ultimately their purpose. And I suspect that this is probably, I think for a cathedral, that's you know, obviously true. It's just that I've never like worked in or in the vicinity of one. For a cathedral, like that that makes perfect sense. Like most of my experiences come from like little parish churches that have like, you know, like not very many people in a parish. Uh, so like that's a very different use case, uh, in, in terms of like how the space and how the how the collections are used. So that makes perfect sense that it's it just looks different at a different scale, uh, and a sort of a you know, like a, a real hub of, you know, like worship and use that makes sense and, and it's a really good point as well so it, yeah it's, it's just a different ways of looking at it that's all it is and, and I also think one of the other things that is of particular interest to me from a collections perspective is that we have our working collections but of course they're also heritage assets they are yeah. particularly um, historic materials that visitors heritage visitors to cathedrals and to churches they're looking through completely different eyes there's a really interesting contradiction between the idea of a working collection that is part of services Class of worship that may have you know incredible history and significance, but are used on a day-to-day basis or come out very rarely or perhaps haven't come out in some collections for quite a long time to the kind of material that people perhaps come to churches to view as heritage visitors. Yeah, really interesting how you working with the collections approach material. I think. Yeah, there must be really like a fascinating sort of collection to work with, just in general. Um, and y- you mentioned the word vestments. How would you describe that to people who don't necessarily know that much about ecclesiastical sort of uh, terminology? Well, <laughs> when I first came to the cathedral, I had an, a lesson in vestments um, on what they were and how the clergy wear them. So it's the garments that the clergy wear for services. Um, and they are very, very specific and they have changed through time and depending on fashion, but also depending on the approach to worship. Mm. Cathedral's vestments. Really, we we have we had material. I think our earliest collections were from the late 19th, early 20th, probably even slightly 1910s, 1920s. Other cathedrals have much older material and they very much reflect the Gothic revival tradition. So this be very much the idea of going back to um, sort of more high church approach to, I'm not even high church, sort of medieval style of investment. So where mm. you're wearing your your chasuble and your coat and your mitre and, and it's only having worked in the church that now I'm looking at them going, oh, that's a very interesting coat that X is wearing on the television today. I wonder who's responsible for that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very Love worrying it. state of affairs. But never mind. Yeah. That's the thing about Christmas, isn't it? That we've got a real like blurring and joining of heritage and tradition and religion that it's sort of that's why these spaces are so interesting and the use of working collections in that respect is so interesting Mm. i have all these questions maybe 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 start with a personal one uh sarah do you like christmas (laughs) 
Yes, as long as I'm not thinking about the vestments. Yes, no, I I do. And it was always a privilege to be working in a cathedral at Christmas time, not only because of the beauty of the space, but it it was enhanced in a way I can't explain. But there's a word for that I didn't realise that each season has colours. So um, red for feast days, green for ordinary um, is it white white at Christmas? And it, it really changes the feel of the space. And of course, at Christmas, it's much more, it, it feels richer in some ways. Mm. What's yeah, the, what I can totally changes see that. colour? Um, it's the colours of the vestments the and stuff like that. Yeah, the vestments yeah. okay. and the ultimates. I think they're called liturgical colours. That's the word. Yeah, it, it changes the feel of the space. It's really interesting like that. Vestments get a lot. Vestments and, and old cloths and textiles get a lot of wear and tear and use in cathedrals and churches. So there is just the general wear and tear as anyone would have with clothes that they wear on a regular basis. Chloe, what are you up to this time? It's, it's called Five Questions. No, it's not. It's called Five Things. And okay. one of us gives another of us a topic... Okay. And then in 15 seconds, that person has to come up with five things relating to that. As an example, we won't do adhesive because, you know, we're not all conservators and people listening might be like, great, thank you for saying poxy five times in different ways. (laughs) But if it was to, if I was to say, or you were to say to me, five things adhesives go, I would say paraloid, Lascaux, uh, Fenuri. That's three. Epoxy and <laughs> cellulose nitrate. Right? Okay. And then that would be my yes, five okay. things. So Gotcha. Perhaps we can say to Sarah, for example, if you're up for it, Sarah. Oh I'm nervous, but go on. <laughs> well, how about on the topic we were just discussing? Five things, vestments, go. Harsh. My brain's gone black. <laughs> <laughs> That's the point, apparently. Silk. Embroidery. Stitches, repairs. Um, uh, one more. One, one more, more. You can do it. One more. Um, do, do, itchy fabric. Oh, well oh. done. Sarah, now you have to do it to one of us, I think. I have to think of a topic. Oh, let's do St. Paul's Cathedral. Oh, my God. That's way oh, too specific. God. Um dome and spire and gold leaf and uh, yeah, i see where you're going <laughs> i don't know entry <laughs> ticket there we go nice <laughs> well done uh what for jenny what for jenny um perhaps we could just say oh it's got to be architectural types church architectural okay, archi- types oh uh oh <laughs> uh <laughs> What, like architectural styles? I want clarification, Yeah, okay, right? okay. I'm going to say architectural styles and I'm referencing your specialism in standing architecture, uh, in standing heritage. Oh, no. This means they have to remember this. <laughs> uh, uh, who's counting? Uh, is oh, anyone doing the uh, counting I will thing? count. Now go. Uh, um, Romanesque. Yay. Um, Gothic. Yes. <laughs> Renaissance. Uh, um... Byzantine, um, modern must be one. <laughs> that was modern five, counts. I think. Come on, <laughs> what does modern even mean? <laughs> it went 
really well. Uh, I, this is a good game, though. Well Thank done. Thank you. Uh, well Should done. we do one more like we, each? Yeah, I was going to say, if we could do one more round, because yeah. now I feel like we understand the concepts. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. that's okay. okay. God, I'm um, going to think of other examples. Oh, <sighs> Sarah. Areas Ooh. within a church or cathedral. Ooh. Oh, oh. Now you've got probably time. Cloisters, nave, crypt, chapel. One more. Transept. There Transept, you go. Transept, yeah. Oh, oh excellent. Oh, that's well really done. Good. Oh, okay, we have to think of one for Chloe oh, now. Um, that's churchy. I okay, could probably let's, do let's famous see. churches if I had to, but now my brain's going to go down. <laughs> if you had to. <laughs> I love it. Um, <clears throat> Notre Dame. Go. What? Why not? It's a famous one. Uh, you could do St. Paul's. You could definitely oh do Notre God. Dame. Go. Okay. Okay. I was hoping to name all my favourite churches in the UK. Um, that's <laughs> going to be Jenny's next one. Okay. Notre Dame. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stained glass. Mm-hmm. Sung mass. Um, epic fire. Yeah. Um, entry fee again, probably. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go for something nicer. I said stained glass already. Am I out of time? I'm out of time. Li- you are so ca- out of time. Little candles that you have to buy in order to light. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I count that because that was such a panic last minute thing of like you've already run out of time. Yeah, guess who's I'm been a- in any church or cathedral in Europe ever? <laughs> You know, though, it's, you're better than me because the first thing that popped into my head was Quasimodo and Esmeralda. Oh, I did think that as well. Know. And I was like, I don't even I know how to summarise that, Disney. That would definitely count, though, because, like, that's famous and not yeah. just Disney's book. I know, I know. But, like, you see you get the image of the characters, right? I don't think I've ever seen it. Uh, no, but they're there. You can imagine them. Oh, yeah, they're there. Yeah. Did you just say you've never seen Hunchback of Notre Dame? Is that what just happened? Uh, I'm, yeah. What? <laughs> what? I'm not very good at my Disney films, okay? <laughs> oh my God. I don't know how. Oh, it's, it's my favourite one. What? I can't believe this. Look, I've seen all of the director's I'm, cuts of all of the alien films and everything like that, uh, okay? Do not come at me with Disney. <laughs> oh man, I am outraged. <laughs> okay, we're going to have to have a film night, apparently. Is there singing? Yeah, that, I don't do musicals. It's not a musical, but of course every Disney film oh, has songs. Gosh. You know the format. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get out of this so easily. Famous churches in the UK, go. What? Oh, they have to be famous? Well, uh, no, they okay, just have to be uh, ones you visited. But we have to know what you're talking uh, about. It can't be like my local down Carmarthen. You know? Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> okay, no copying out. Gotcha. Uh, in that case, I'm, I'm having St. Paul's and I'm having Canterbury oh. Cathedral. <laughs> Um. Oh. Um. But but then I'm probably out of famous ones because then it's probably all piddly ones. Oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean that. I mean lovely little ones. Oh man, I don't do famous ones. <laughs> oh my god, I'm blanking so hard. That's this is. You could good. just name uh, big cities in the UK. Pretty yeah, much. What if they don't have cathedrals? They, That's just embarrassing, I said isn't it? All cathedrals. That's true, but you can't just go church of. Usually they're a saint of. I've definitely failed this because <laughs> now I'm just arguing details. Um. <laughs> uh, Sarah, how about you? York Minster. Yeah. Um, oh. Extra Cathedral. Uh, Durham Cathedral. Yes, my favourite. Oh, I'm on the oh, cathedral yeah. trail. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. 
York Mint. Did I say York? You said York. You did say York. Uh, Yes. York's so good. I said it twice. (laughs) (laughs) Durham's definitely the best. There's something about Durham. Is St. David's a cathedral or a church? Because that's definitely my favourite little one. Cathedral, yeah. Salisbury is my my least favourite overrated a overrated one. Oh, spicy. Mm. Yeah, it's like crazy austere. Oh, like okay. Blade okay. Runner does mm. religion, you know? I like the ones that are like hewn into like uh, the mountain or <laughs> something that's underwater or like... <laughs> I, you know, like I like weird ones uh, when they've really gone for a theme or like they're really like, this is what we're going to do. I like that. What are your thoughts on this, Sarah? Do you have a favourite cathedral? <laughs> Apart from York. Possibly comment. <laughs> no. You're allowed to comment, aren't you? Or do you have to say Canterbury? Just because of the architecture style, it's got to be Durham, but I don't yes. know it as well as Canterbury. Oh, so, Durham yeah. is, <laughs> I went to Durham University. Durham is my favourite cathedral. Oh, I have a five things for both of you oh, to work okay. together as a team. And I present this as an idea because I don't know enough about it. Um, okay. And I'm going to say groups of people in history that have f***ed up the inside of churches or the outside of churches. Vikings? <laughs> you always Just say that. Down. <laughs> I do. It's because it's true. <laughs> Uh, then we have to go with the Victorians yeah. then they have to make the yeah, list yeah. Okay. Puritans. Yeah. okay Puritans <laughs> that's number three uh, the Normans weren't that nice to some of them <laughs> uh, groups of people um... how about the monks <gasps> what did they do mean <laughs> well, I'm not saying they did bad things but you know change is as good as the rest isn't it Oh, I suppose, yes. I okay. like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, take it, yeah. take it. It's definitely part of the uh, history of the place. And depending on your taste, you could say they were either improving or not, depending on how you feel about it. <laughs> Excellent. I like it. I think that's five. I think yeah, that's, that's five. five. Well done. Nice, nice. One, guys. Excellent. Yep. Yep. Thank you very much, Chloe. You're very welcome. As a treat, have another, uh, what, what, what was it you eating again? Quality Street. I'm going for an orange Quality one Street. now. The fruit oh. ones are my favourites. Radical. I can't share a box of these with uh, with somebody else who likes the fruit ones because I'm so used to having all of them myself. What's in the fruit ones? You have had these I mean, before, obviously right, fruit, haven't you? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm confused by UK chocolate boxes because oh they're God. all just like strange varieties what? in colourful wrappers and I don't understand. This is Quality Street made in Halifax, which is a me- Quality Street is a purple one, I know. Yeah. So it's the fruit creams so, that I like. So it's basically... The fruit cream? Vaguely okay. fruit-flavoured sugar cream wrapped in chocolate. Okay. I feel like I would do the coconut eclair personally. I like coconut. Shall I have a coconut eclair now and describe it to you? Oh, no, a... mean. I don't have any <laughs> coconut eclairs. <laughs> <laughs> we do usually do some annual predictions, it has to be said. Should I perhaps tell Sarah what our previous mm-hmm. year's predictions mm-hmm. were? So we each chose to do one or two. Um, I was the only one greedy enough to do two, and I... Th- I think that definitely did bite me in the butt. So our previous year's predictions were, um, our guest host said to not take for granted seeing friends and family. 
And uh, Chloe's one was more people and community groups will seek advice, work and funding for conservation. And mine were that I would put up episode transcripts of the podcast and that I would (laughs) find a workspace for my company. Mm. So half of that came through for me. (laughs) So I did not put up the episode transcripts. I'm so sorry, everyone. Uh, That that did not happen. Uh, I'll I'll have another go. I'll have another go, shall I? Um, That can be this year's. That can be this year's. Maybe this summer. (laughs) (laughs) But I did manage to find somewhere as a workspace. So that did work out. So that's good. Not only that, Chloe, you're making you... a damn good go of it as well. Chloe, do you think that more people in community groups have been seeking advice and stuff for conservation? How do you feel about it? Like you you work with a, quite a few. Mm. I think actually I said that because there were loads of people coming in about the things that they'd found in their various houses and spaces and stuff during covid and thought I should oh, do something about yeah. this. Now, though, I think the cost of living has probably just affected think people over the months. I've had some inquiries still, and then I've said, this is how much it's going to cost, or this is what you can do, and this is what that means, and the response has been, I can't justify it. So Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> pretty common. Maybe yes and no, because advice has been sought, but not necessarily... <clears throat> being able to be prioritized which is fair enough okay so sort of yeah yeah that's fair enough i do think that people have probably taken their friends and family less for granted yes like that people have been really grateful to see each Mm -hmm. other i think that's been a pretty solid theme so i think uh, our previous guest hosted really well with that one. yeah yeah i think you're right defo how about this year then Oh, have a think, Sarah. We'll come around to you in a bit. I okay, so I'm going to renew mine. Of I will put up the episode transcripts. I will still try to do that. Um, what else? Surprisingly difficult. It is hard. Chloe, do you it? have one? Do I have one? I would like to say that I will be able to prioritize the collection store a little bit more than last year. Ooh, I think that's and my personal one is going to be that I predict I'm going to go to Egypt in February and go around the <gasps> museums and maybe maybe somebody in Egyptian museums are listening and they can host me in their lab and say hi. <laughs> that's very specific and Isn't I like it. it. Excellent. That, I'm going to be in Cairo. That goes on the list at the end of February. I love it. Could somebody please that's have me fabulous. in the studio and I can say hi. <laughs> Oh, that's fabulous. Sarah, do you have a prediction for the year? Right. Well, let's go for something digital. I think we're seeing a continued growth of really innovative and creative ways that digital is used to explore collection. How about that? Oh, I like that one. It's quite general, so I can't be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's the trick, isn't it? That's that's how to win this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's pretty good going. I like it. Uh, so aside from episode transcripts, Oof. I predict. No, I I don't want to predict a bleak one. That's the thing. So I want to keep it happy. You can predict a bleak um, one. I think. I mean, no. Given that, how about awful. you have a positive one and a bleak one? That's oh, realistic. That's too, too many. <laughs> so, I think we'll see fewer conservation students. Because I don't think people will afford to go to uni. Oh, man. So that's a bleak one. Yeah. Um, and then a happy one. I think museums will become more well embedded in their communities as they become places that people can go when they're cold and sad. <laughs> There's somewhere to go for hope. 
Museums are going to become warm banks, is what you're saying. I mean, that's already happening, yeah. but yeah. I have just been handed bacon, <gasps> Brussels sprouts, oh. caramelized carrots, and wow. what I believe, oh my God, are mini hash browns. I predict that there's going to be more movement in museums to use passive environmental controls to Ooh, that's a nice one have to to manage their environmental systems i like Partly it for cost reasons but also for envi- like you know sustainability reasons yeah i think that's gonna i think that's gonna happen yeah i like it because what what else to lose now like if you're a museum and you're struggling to keep the heating on turn it off see what happens you know i know it's more complicated than that don't come at me but, <laughs> but- <laughs> I was going to say it all. (laughs) So, Beth and I at our work Christmas party were chatting about this episode and about working in a cathedral or a church. And then she reminded me that uh, she used to work at... So I used to be a premises assistant, uh, aka caretaker, at uh, Westminster Chapel, which is in London, and it's a 19th century church in central, central London. Uh, So that kind of covered a whole host of responsibilities, and I knew I wanted to be a conservator, Mm -hmm. but that definitely wasn't my job there. But you were pre-conservation at this point. I was pre-conservation, but conservation interested. So Mm -hmm. I was enthusiastic, (laughs) but without necessarily the right knowledge to back me up. Yeah. So central London, pretty busy. At Christmas time. What was it like at Christmas time? It was beautiful. Uh Uh, We have a big uh, candlelit carol service, which was our biggest event of the year. So that was kind of... 600 people or so I think at our height so managing really old boiler systems and lots of people some of whom know it's always cold and some of whom are shocked if it's cold so it would be turn the heating system on at least 24 hours in advance kind of a oh wow to heat the whole building up yeah and then if it's too hot because you have no control then let's open all the windows But you had, did you have lots of events or was it just big single events and then more footfall? We had lots of events, uh, lots of smaller things. So they've had a whole refit now. So it looks a bit different than it did when I was working there. Um, so the event space you can see in and things like that. It's all very shiny and lovely. Um, but at the time it was kind of lots of smaller events and then every now and then we'd get hired for a big thing so the rooms were available to hire and still are and so you were adjusting around different people's needs in different parts of the building i guess and it was all a heritage building was it what was it like managing christmas around heritage specific and all the extra requirements for that it was a challenge because it was very much people first Mm. as it should be for the things that were the worry so it was things like candlelit carols how do we keep the whole table of candles away from small children (laughs) um and things like that and obviously with a big community different people have different things they want out of that space in that time and things that you expect so it's nice to have big traditions and big events um did a lot of catering and things like that which managing that round moving around an old building is always interesting Mm. and people flow and things like that so it was it was mostly the people that was the challenge the people in the heating 
<laughs> and you mentioned last night that the windows were not very new either. No, so the chapel's actually listed because it was bombed during the war and the tower, um, all the windows in the front tower and in one side of the building were broken in the bomb damage um, and were all replaced after that. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of leaky pollution situation. I'd say whilst I was there as well, we moved all of the archives because I was super keen um, <laughs> and those had been stored in the boiler rooms. There were various issues with paper and documentation, the oldest of which was kept in the boiler room. So obviously I was worried about that every time we had to leave the boilers on for days at a time <laughs> for big events. Um, so there was all of those those fun side issues um, related to extra soiling. <laughs> so, And now you're a conservator, bright and shiny, pretty new still. Yeah. How do you feel about, when you look back, and think about those big events and the candle lit carols and things like that. How do you, what does your conservation senses, what do they tell you? How do you feel about that now? I try not to be kept up at night by it. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. the uh, no, I think it was a great example of people trying to do the best they can with the resources available. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the changes they've made are really good. The archive is no longer in the boiler room. Mm -hmm. I worry that in my enthusiasm I moved it all into an attic and that that's maybe no better but that's, <laughs> that's a whole other kettle of fish at least it's all in one place and yeah I think it was it was nice in that time period to be able to remind people of the importance of the building and its heritage and I think that's been carried through in the building works I generally I feel good because mm -hmm. I think I think it's still a building that's performing its role and it's okay that it's a bit grubby because it's still doing the job. And I think if people have the right approach to it and respect for a historic building, then you win a lot of the smaller battles that maybe you don't notice. Performing its role, I yes. like that. That's lovely. <laughs> Good active life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely that. And final question that I'm tacking on at the end because I think it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on it. With Sarah, we talked about vestments mm. and their different colours and their wear and tear and things. Did you have any dealings with religious and working textiles? So we... It's a modern evangelical church, yeah. but it's had some quite famous preachers mm. oh. in very specific circles mm -hmm. so I did used to give occasional tours to people who would just show up on the doorstep largely from America um who were all lovely and I was a bit biased mm -hmm. in <laughs> that we had some of the robes when robes were worn mm -hmm. of I think it was Reverend Lloyd George who was one of the two sort of famous-ish pastors we've had mm. um which were kept in his study hanging up and I did judge how much I liked the people I was showing on the tour as to whether I would let them see Lloyd George's clothes <laughs> because inevitably people would want to have a bit of a fondle of a sleeve oh, yeah. or something like that of and course. actually I think that's fine because they were quite stable mm. there's nothing wrong with them they weren't super flashy or likely to be damaged in the way that 
maybe velvet or silk or something mm. like that was. They were kind of black cotton polyester probably. So I think it was the right place for them to be. And yeah. having trained, they were hanging up. They mm-hmm. weren't folded up in a box somewhere <laughs> squished. I'm pleased about that. I hope they still are. guess the only thing I would say has changed mm. is being more aware of pests. I think if I were to do that kind of job again, I would be a lot more aware of people squirreling away food in weird places. Ah. Or spilling things on carpets. Right. That's a a conservative paranoia now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And with the encroach of Christmas becomes more food. I think food. Food and parties. Yeah. Because it's a mince pie ground into a carpet situation <laughs> I'm thinking of here. Yes, it is. Kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah, if yeah. It, You know, if it takes me a few days to hoover that, that yeah, area. Yeah, Thanks very much. And to put you in a Christmassy mood, potentially, here is a possibly not very Christmassy at all rendition of Silent Night, which we've called Install Night. Enjoy. Install night, loans done right, objects in crates, snug and tight, weatherproof padded with plastazote foam, labeled sections in temporary made them for install acclimate them for install install night gloves in sight forms laid out on which couriers will change occurred on the journey here and loan reports for take down next year per diem and a budget meal per diem and a Today I'm reviewing National Treasures, Saving the Nation's Art in World War II by Caroline Shenton. This is a 2021 John Murray publication and it's been sat on my bookshelf for far too long. This book originally caught my eye because it was about the British version of the Monuments Men, which is a fascinating piece of wartime history, and because it was written by a fellow collections care professional. Caroline is an archivist by training and I was curious if this would shine through in the book. The book starts in Wales, which I obviously love. In fact, there's an awful lot of Welsh heroes in this tome and I'm absolutely here for it. The book provides a fascinating glimpse back in time to a period when Britain watched the developments in Nazi Germany with great anxiety and when people asked if paintings could withstand mustard gas or slate dust and which grand estates or caves could be used as secret storage sites for treasures. 
It's a book peppered with names familiar to me as a heritage professional educated here in the UK, but that most people outside the sector probably wouldn't know of. Here they come to life a little and they're given more context and personality, although not always flatteringly, and I feel as if I might know them, or that I've met them, or at least people very much like them in my career. I'm pleased to say this isn't a book entirely about straight men either, there are plenty of lady curators and some queer personal stories in the mix too. As a conservator, I especially relish the stories about how things were packed and the practicalities of the triage and planning involved. Many of the things mentioned in these chapters are things I still preach today when I teach emergency preparedness, so it feels very familiar. There are accounts of petty bickering between institutions that I could well see happening even today, um, but there are also more sinister undercurrents of misinformation from the enemy. Circling back to conservation again, I love reading about how tapestries were sprinkled with like naphtaline and crushed peppercorns to ward off pests as they were rolled up for indefinite storage, uh, amongst other gems of that nature, so it's definitely a fun read as a collections care professional. This is an incredibly well-researched book that makes for captivating reading, and I really recommend it as a last-minute Christmas gift, or as some New Year's reading for yourself, and to anyone who enjoys non-fiction, wartime history, true stories, and of course collections care. It is heart-wrenching at times, as we conservatives want to preserve things, and this book puts into perspective just how much is lost during war, the gaps that can never be filled, and the stories that are definitely lost to time. But it's also a heartening read about bravery, flexibility, uh, our favourite keyword, and people doing good in the face of danger. Um, although the British Museum being likened to a burning Christmas pudding is definitely not for the faint of heart. This book has 319 pages in its hardback version, though a big chunk of that is reference stuff like notes, bibliography and a proper index. There's a section of black and white plates in the middle of the book showing some of the people involved and the ways things were stored in tube tunnels and secret stores. And these are actually a fabulous addition that I really appreciated. And finally, you can get this book from any good bookseller for about 10 to 20 pounds, depending on whether you go for the hardback or paperback version. Dear Jane, what is the best way to get conservation experience as an undergraduate student? I'm 18 and it is, in fact, my burning desire to become an art conservator. I want to get into a graduate programme for conservation, although I'm unsure of the specialisation I want to focus on. And the main problem I'm having is that most programmes require quite a bit of conservation experience, but I'm too young or inexperienced to qualify for any internships. I've thought of reaching out to private conservators and some public museums about internship or apprenticeship programmes, but I'm not really sure how to phrase my plight, or if that is something anyone in the field would allow. Do you have any tips on how to break into the conservation scene or how to ask for internships that don't exist. Also, I live in North Carolina, southern USA, which isn't exactly the hip-hop party spot for art conservation. And I'm about to graduate with an associate's degree in fine arts and then transfer to finish a bachelor's in art history and chemistry. I'll be a junior in the fall. Thank you for your time, Anna. Dear Anna, thank you for your question and many apologies for how long it's taken me to reply. I have started a couple of times, but life gets in the way sometimes. So sorry about that. I have asked a few people um, in the States with more experience of applying in the States than I have and looked around. And the message seems to be that programs are now softening on their internship requirements. So some of them are saying that it's not required pre-program internships. And some of them are broadening their definition of what you can count. 
So the first thing to do is probably, as you say, to sort of seek an internship of your own making, is to conceive of that quite broadly. So if there's any opportunity in an historic context or setting, the general feeling from my network seems to be that any sort of heritage or museum experience will help strengthen your case. It sort of means that you understand the sector, the priorities, the resources, the issues that are going on. So even if you don't start off in a particularly conservation or even a collections care role to start with, if you can get involved, then you might be able to um, offer to do some documentation or help out here and there and build that experience profile. So the people who have been where you are now gave two very consistent pieces of advice, and that is to ask people. So yes, do cold call for the internship that doesn't exist. And it is quite a tricky um, request. I completely accept that. But what the suggestion seems to be is to find the names of the conservators and send them a polite email explaining what it is that you are wanting to do. Now, I found that when students write for placement, sometimes they're not clear enough on practical things. So if, for example, you are able to offer every Saturday or every Wednesday afternoon, or two weeks in your holidays or vacation, if you can set out what your sort of offer is to them, that's often helpful for them to slot you into their work programmes. Also, can you be there at the start of the working day? I don't know what your transport situation is. So just have a think through those sorts of things so that you can say, I'd really like to commit this amount of time, I'm able to travel, Or even, you know, sometimes you can say I'm prepared to do online work. There are organisations, certainly in the UK, who get people transcribing from archives and records online. And that's the sort of thing you can do from home in your own time. And it still counts as experience. Another piece of advice is that you should look around the programmes and start contacting them to ask them about pre-programme experience and if there's anything that they can advise and recommend. And really read between the lines, between those that are saying that pre-programme internships is useful and those that say that they're required. I'm not completely sure about whether something has to be badged as an internship to be an internship in American perspective. So maybe some of Chloe and Jenny's wonderful listeners can give some more feedback on this. But certainly in the UK, if you were applying, it doesn't have to be a formal internship for it to be counted as pre-programme experience. And while I'm on the subject of the UK and Europe, you will find that many of the courses do not require any pre-programme experience. Certainly the ones that I am familiar with do see and recognise that this is a barrier to admissions. But I appreciate at 18, travelling to the UK might not be your first priority right now, but this message goes out to anyone else looking around the world and listening to this podcast, as I know people do, is different countries will have different approaches to this. And certainly, I think from an equalities point of view, the UK has done pretty good there in terms of reducing pre-programme requirements. So if you just let me fiddle with my messages for a second and tap away at my phone, There was a couple of very specific bits of advice from some wonderful people. Ashley Lingle was one of the people who helped out with advice and feedback. Um, And Ashley was also wondering whether you could actually get some thrift store uh, material and start to do some sort of basic cleaning and things like that, just to sort of, uh, or refitting. So I think in the UK that wouldn't play so well, but I think maybe in the States it might. 
But what I do like when I'm seeing admissions, sorry to give my identity away here, is I really like to see people who've got experience of skills. So, you know, if you had making skills, I've seen people who, you know, do paperwork, craft work, beadwork, making clothes, there's so many things. All those sort of craft felting, I like, I've seen felting, all those sort of skills that you show you have that fine motor skill and eye for detail, they're all helpful. So if there is any, say, a repair cafe, is that something you have? Again, I'm so sorry, I don't know enough about America. Do you have repair cafes in the States where people gather together and fix things in their community? Because that would be wonderful as well. That would be good experience. So just, so Ashley was really encouraging you to throw an incredibly wide net. Now, then the other thing is I spoke to Michelle Crepo and she's actually given me her email address for Jenny to pass to you. And she's given some incredibly useful feedback. Basically, she said cold call and email. That's what she did. And she sent lots and lots of emails asking people if they could take it and only one reply came through positive but that was enough for her to build experience and she is now working in conservation. She also says to consider the broadest spectrum of heritage, culture, museum work. So anything you can do in terms of exhibit work or anything you can help out with she recommends. Now the one thing that's incredibly important and I've sent the link to Jenny to put in the show notes is that the state of North Carolina also supports a paid internship program in state government departments that include roles at museums, historic sites etc across the state and that is somewhere that Michelle's museum has actually sourced a lot of education interns so please have a look for that hopefully the link will be in the show notes and perhaps contact Jenny and get Michelle's contact details so sorry this has taken so long I'm hoping through the magic of the c word and the magic of the festive season that we can connect you to Michelle and maybe we can have a happy ending. And if it does work out, please, please, please phone or leave a message for the C-Word so that they can update the listeners. Thank you so much for your inquiry and over and out. If you're enjoying the C-Word and would like to support our work, then please consider becoming one of our patrons. For as little as $1 per month, you can help us keep our episodes online and more of them coming. Patreon helps us meet our regular costs for the show and also to plan ahead so we know roughly how much of a monthly budget we've got. That's super helpful when you're trying to do something special like buy a better microphone or save up to go to a special event. Your support also helps keep us free of advertisements. In return, our supporters get access to our archive of extended episodes, which you can only access on our Patreon page. Yeah, for that $1 a month, you get a little extra audio enjoyment. We've crunched the numbers, and it's about 10% extra content on a regular basis. That's not bad for less than a cup of coffee, eh? If supporting us sounds like something you'd like to do, then head over to patreon.com slash the C word and join our bunch of absolute champions. Thanks for listening. We're the C word, and you've been listening to Dr. Sarah Turner, Chloe Rumsey, and me, Jen Mathiason. Join us next season for more conservation goodness and have a very Merry Christmas in the meantime. And a Happy New Year as well. May you be acid free. In between seasons, you can check out our website at theseawood.show, tweet us at theseawoodpodcast or simply email us on theseawoodpodcast at gmail.com. The intro and outro music is Spring by DD Music, used on a Creative Commons attribution license and slightly altered for the season. Additional music and sound effects by Callum Robertson and Audio Jungle. 
and this has been a Wooden Dice production. Well, I'm just going to pour myself a sherry whilst we work on our internet. Oh, and yes, it is do traditional it. to make the oh, noise. That's an excellent, pleasing noise. Is there a nice glug as well? I think so, but I don't know if it came out. I am sitting in front of a, an entire tin of Quality Street as well. Very nice.